Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. This week is National Infertility Awareness Week, and I thought there was no better way to sum up our infertility series by having a couple women join us to share their journey. In this episode, we are talking with Blair and Allie from Fertility Rally about what their fertility journey has been like. This episode is phenomenal, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I have putting it together. This is the sixth and final episode on our series of infertility. Are you wanting to improve your intimacy and would like some wonderful ideas to help you? I have created the 30-Day Intimacy Challenge. To get my free 30-day intimacy challenge, all you got to do is leave a review for the Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators podcast. Once you do that on iTunes, take a screenshot, share it over on Instagram, and tag me, Jordan Donnell, in it. That will get you your free copy of my 30 days of intimacy challenge. It is super fun. It is super juicy and can't wait for you to try these. You can do it in whatever order you'd like, whether you'd like to do all 30 of them or pick and choose, it's up to you. Go write your review and get your 30 days of intimacy challenge started right away. Joining me today is Blair and Allie, the co-founders of Fertility Rally. Fertility Rally is a safe, all-inclusive space for anyone riding the roller coaster of infertility or building their modern families in a non-traditional way. Fertility Rally is the place Blair and Allie wish they had when they were trudging through the muck, a place with 24-7 community, all the content and education you could ask for, and curated events. They have put together a fabulous space to help share and educate and provide support for other individuals going through infertility. Highly recommend checking out their Fertility Rally. Allie is the creator and host of the podcast Infertile AF, and Blair is the creator and host of the podcast Fab Fertility. Together, I have them on our podcast today to share their fertility journeys. Blair, Allie, would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Yeah. I'll go ahead and start. So my name is Blair Nelson. Hello, everybody. So happy to meet you over the podcast. I am one of the co-founders of Fertility Rally. And also I have my own personal podcast and blog and Instagram account, Fab Fertility. And yeah, my Fab Fertility account is all about my own personal journey along with providing um, education and inspiration to people going through infertility and trying to build their family. It's kind of half education, half me showing what I'm going through in real time, which has included several rounds of IVF. And now I'm seven months pregnant, finally, after five rounds of IVF with my rainbow baby who's due in 10 weeks, which is pretty insane. (laughs) Yay, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and I am Allie Prado. So I co-founded Fertility Rally with Blair, and I have my own podcast as well called Infertile AF and Instagram account and all that stuff. And I had a secondary infertility journey. So I had my 
first daughter when I was 35. And then we didn't start to try for another kid until I was about 37 and a half. And I ended up having four miscarriages kind of back to back to back. And then I realized that I had like an egg quality issue because of my age. And I was totally taken aback. I had no idea that that was going to be a thing. I was so clueless when it came to my fertility. The reason that we started Fertility Rally and also our respective things was just to, you know, provide support for people in the community. And like Blair said, education and also just sharing stories to let people know that they're not alone. You know, this is thankfully being talked about a lot more these days. But, you know, two years ago when I started my podcast, there wasn't a ton going on. So my whole thing is just to share stories of people going through everything from, you know, single parents by choice, surrogacy, and basically any way that people are building their modern families. So we try to cover as much as possible and just share these stories to let people know that no matter what they're going through, they are not alone. Yes. And I think that is so important because having worked in the fertility world, I do know that a lot of women aren't talking about their fertility journeys. They feel very alone throughout the process and bringing that awareness and creating that community is so important for a lot of women to help them get through the journey. Absolutely. So I know that like every fertility journey is very different and unique. Blair, you went through five IVF cycles. Had you, do you want to tell us a little bit more about why you went for IVF? Yeah, sure. So my husband and I found out really early in our TTC journey, as they say, trying to conceive journey, that IVF was our only path to parenthood. My husband was diagnosed like in utero (laughs) with a balanced translocation, which is a genetic uh, rearrangement of your chromosomes, put simply, that if they're balanced, you're completely normal. But if you're unbalanced, it can cause a lot of problems. Most times, if you conceive an unbalanced baby, then you end up miscarrying. If you carry it to term, the child dies soon after birth. So it's very serious. It really, really handicaps your chances at getting pregnant and sustaining a pregnancy. So knowing that information, which we came about in a very weird way, we dug it up in a medical file, just so happened to. It was so strange. Otherwise, we probably would have been trying pointlessly for (laughs) many more months before we ended up getting diagnosed. But uh, we were lucky that we found this medical history and this file his parents kept, who sadly, the reason we were looking through it is because they are both deceased. So that is what led us to the reproductive endocrinologist's office. And that was six months into trying. So we had only been married for eight months. And um, we went from, you know, peeing on the ovulation sticks and seeing smiley faces to IVF. So we skipped all the medicated cycles, all the IUIs, all the things. So I went from zero to 60. And with a balanced translocation, it's it's a pretty unique diagnosis. So your expectations are set pretty, I don't want to say low, but you, you just kind of go in it knowing that you're going to have to do probably multiple rounds of IVF before you have success. Um, just because the statistics are not on your side, about a fourth of your embryos, they they guess, will be genetically normal with a 
balance translocation, the whole reason you're doing IVF is to do genetic testing to make sure that the embryos that you use do not have an unbalanced form of that chromosome rearrangement. So anyway, long story short, we made normal embryos our first round. We got pregnant with one of those four, ended in early miscarriage at seven weeks, which is why I started Fab Fertility in the first place. Uh, was just to find support and tell my story. And then we had three other just failed transfers of genetically normal embryos. So not only were we dealing with the translocation, but then we were also dealing with apparently we had repeat implantation failure on my side. So we were dealing with two difficult diagnoses because you know anyone listening that's familiar with IVF, repeat implantation failure, there's not a lot of a lot not a lot known about it. And so when you experience that your doctors just kind of start throwing shit at you and hoping that it works. So we went through three more rounds of IVF over the course of the next year or so and made embryos every time, but none of them were genetically normal. They either had an unbalanced translocation or something really random wrong with them. And that's when the pandemic hit. We had just found out that our fourth round of IVF failed in February of 2020 and we were just kind of like having a you know WTF moment. What are we going to do? Are we going to start talking about donor conception? Or are we going to go out of state and try to get someone else's opinion? And then when the pandemic hit, we really didn't have that option. We didn't have the option to go travel out of state. We were considering going to Colorado. So we ended up just taking a leap of faith and doing a fifth cycle with our doctor here who we love. I'm in Austin, Texas. And we made three genetically normal embryos. So it was like a total shock, truly. I still can't believe it. And we had a transfer in August and it worked. We, you know, I won't bore everyone with all the details of all the crazy shit we did in my protocol, but <laughs> I was on at least 10 medications. Like I threw in the steroids. We did so many things, but whatever, it worked. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of. It's <laughs> a lot. Thanks. Just saying, I still get the chills when Blair tells that story. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you still have two embryos in storage? We do. Yep. We have two. Um, we transferred our day five embryo. So, when they do like a, when you do genetic testing, they grow them out to day five or six and then they biopsy them, them and send them off. We had one day five come back normal, which is the little girl I'm pregnant with now. And then we have two day six boys. So we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> That's so awesome. I'm so excited for you. Now, you. Allie, with your journey, do you want to tell me like a little bit more about what that was like? How long did you try before you went to see a reproductive endocrinologist after you were trying to conceive with your second child? So we didn't go to an RE until after I had had the fourth miscarriage. So it had been probably like a couple of years at that point. And, you know, we, the first miscarriage, we were just kind of like, we, you know, we have a lot of friends who've had a miscarriage and it's very common as you well know. So we didn't think too much about it. You know, then the second one starting to get more worried and obviously much more devastated as we went on. And then finally, you know, I started talking to somebody about, you know, possibly getting, going to see an RE or something, you know, asking around, but again, there weren't, I couldn't find any good resources. It was really hard to find people that were talking about this, you know, Instagram 
really was just kind of kicking off. There wasn't a big community like there is now. Um, so I was really struggling. And, you know, I've talked about this a lot on my own podcast and other places. Um, but my husband and I were really not on the same page about moving forward with going to see an RE. You know, he's an only child of two only children. And we had our daughter. And he was kind of like, I'm cool. He, you know, not that he didn't want to have another kid, but he was like, this seems like tons of effort. And I see you in so much pain and it's not happening. And he was very much on the page of wanting to just kind of live our lives how they were. And I was the opposite where I could not, not have this second baby. It was like all I wanted. And I was so laser focused on it. And so my struggle isn't so much about the protocols and the treatments. It was mostly about our relationship. You know, we had a really, really hard time. We almost split up at one point because we just were not seeing eye to eye. And finally, you know, so that was why we didn't see an RE sooner because he just was not interested in it. But we finally did. And oh, sorry, before we saw the RE, actually, one of my best friends had done an IUI to become pregnant on her own single mother by choice. So she said, why don't you guys try IUI? Maybe it's just, you know, a quality issue. So we did two IUIs and neither of those worked. So then we went and saw an RE. And when I met this doctor who ended up becoming my doctor that did IVF with us, Dr. Klein, he, you know, looked at me and said, you are a perfect candidate for IVF because you've got tons of eggs. You just don't have, you know, the good quality ones are not the ones that are are dropping for you. So if I can go in there and we can find a good egg and your husband doesn't seem to have any problems, I think, you know, this might work for you. So I was very, felt super optimistic after that first consult. I went by myself. My husband didn't want to go with me, not to paint him like a jerk. It was just that we were just on two different pages. You know, like I said, he was, I think he had a hard time seeing me in so much pain and didn't really understand why we were putting ourselves through this if we didn't have to that makes any sense. So anyway, we ended up, you know, having lots of discussions and I finally, you know, we came to the compromise in our marriage that we were going to do IVF one time. And if it worked great. And if it didn't, we were going to close this chapter because at this point now all in, it had been like three plus years and it was just constant heartache. And I was very depressed and so we needed to see like a light at the end of the tunnel. So long story short, we did end up doing the one round of IVF. We got five PGT tested healthy embryos and we trans, or sorry, we got five embryos. We tested them and one came back healthy, just one. So we had kind of a one shot deal. I did a transfer in April of 2015 with our one healthy embryo. We didn't know the gender when we transferred and it worked and it was like a crazy miracle. And I still, like Blair was saying, I still can't believe that it worked. I I still can't believe we have our son who is now five. That is super amazing. The chances there. Yeah. And it's funny because now that we're, you know, we're, we have fertility rally and we talk to hundreds of people and, you know, Blair and I both have interviewed so many people with so many different stories. I realized how lucky I was that I did, you know, IVF one time and it worked on the first round. It's really rare. So I didn't realize that at the time I was, like I said, I was pretty clueless, but now, you know, in retrospect, I'm so happy that it did would have closed the chapter, like I said, and just 
had our daughter and had a great life that way as well. Yeah. I think you really bring up a good point about relationships when dealing with infertility. And there is a lot of communication that has to happen. There is a lot of, for some relationships, it creates a lot of issues. How do you deal with that? I'm just going to say that. So honestly, the way that we've gotten through it as a couple is therapy. And it took a kind of an intervention with my friends probably a year into our IVF journey. They sat me down at a dinner, girls' dinner we had. Well, that wasn't the reason. I'm making it sound like an intervention. But we were sitting down <laughs> at our girl at our girls' dinner and they just said, you know, have y'all ever considered, I was just talking about probably yet another failed round of IVF or something super sad. And they just said, have y'all ever thought about going to therapy, just the two of you, like to talk about all of this? It's so heavy. It takes a huge emotional toll, which we can get into later on the episode. And I, I kind of thought about it. And so many of us, women especially, we feel like therapy means we're weak or therapy means we're failing or that we can't handle it. And as soon as I went and talked to my husband about it, and I kind of phrased it like, I need to do this. Will you do it with me? Which he seemed to receive better than me saying, we need therapy. Because then they also think, oh, is our marriage failing? Like, am I failing as a man? Like, blah, blah, blah. So when I phrase it as, I need to do this, will you will you help me and do it with me? He was very receptive to it. And we've been going at least once a month ever since then. So this was probably two years ago. And it has been such an amazing thing for our relationship, specifically related to infertility. We found a a woman who specializes in couples infertility therapy. So very, very niche, but very, very needed. And obviously, like one in eight couples are dealing with some sort of something. So we were so thankful to find her. And the reason I like it is for two two ways or two reasons. The first is it allows you to set a time, set aside some time and space for those hard conversations to talk about infertility. What Allie and I have found talking to so many members and podcasting with so many people is that there's always one person in the relationship that wants to talk about it all the time. For us, it's me and Allie in our relationships and our husbands don't want to talk about it. But sometimes the roles are reversed. And so what would happen is Will would come home from work and I will have been stewing and thinking about infertility all day and like, what should we do if this goes wrong or what should we do if this goes right? And I would just dump on him when he would come home and it would cause all this tension and fighting and like, oh my gosh, I feel like you're attacking me. Like, I'm not ready to talk about this. I haven't had time to mentally prepare. I don't care that you've been thinking about it all day. So knowing that we had the time set aside where we could both come to the table mentally prepared to talk about whatever we wanted to talk about was a huge godsend, to be honest. And then the second thing it's done for us is that we both cope with infertility and bad news and heartbreak in very different ways. And that's another common theme that we find with our members is some people love to share. Some people prefer to keep it in. Some people want to cry. Some people want to, you know, humor is their best medicine. And so 
the therapist has helped us understand that it is okay to handle grief and good news and heartbreak differently from one another. But what's important is that we have to give each other the space to handle it the way we need to handle it and also not only give each other the space, but to respect it. And I was having a hard time with that with my husband. He was having a really hard time with me being so open about our journey on Instagram because he is very private. And for a therapist to talk us through, this is where Blair finds healing, is sharing with other people, bouncing ideas off other people, and helping other people by sharing what you're going through. That's how she's coping. And you need to respect that. And Blair, you can't be mad at him for not wanting to be your number one fan on Instagram because that's not how he heals. So those are the two ways that it really helped us. And I know Allie's a huge proponent of therapy too. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I never was in couples therapy. I wish that we had been, but I was going on my own. And she really helped me get to a space where, you know, if we were going to move on as a family of three, that was going to be okay. And she helped me kind of accept that. And that was kind of when I felt like I was finally coming out the other side because it was like, if it works, awesome. If it doesn't work, I'm going to be okay. And that was so important. So yeah, huge, huge fan of therapy. Yeah, I think therapy is wonderful. My mom always told me that anytime you have a huge life change or if anything happens in your life, you should always go to therapy and that it can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. What have you found really helpful to support you emotionally through this? Well, yeah, I mean, well, when I was going through it, like I was saying there, you know, I really didn't have a lot of resources. I was talking to my family and friends who were wonderful, but Nobody was going through exactly what I was going through. And that brings us to kind of how Blair and I met. You know, she reached out to me via email after I'd started my podcast and said, you know, I've been through a shit ton or a fuck ton, I think she said. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I like this girl already. And, you know, we just started talking and she came on my podcast. And then shortly thereafter, she started hers and I was a guest on her show. And we just instantly bonded as women do when you're going through this trauma or have been through the trauma. So, you know, she and I became friends and then started texting and that's how we kind of came up with this fertility rally. And it was, it started out as a live event because we said, there's so many amazing women we've met and men in this community. You know, we really want to do some sort of event where it's like a day of talks and education, but it's also a celebration because we both firmly believe in lifting other people up, no matter how, you know, how we can, however we can in support and supporting their endeavors in this community. So we started out planning this live event that was going to happen in October, 2020 in Brooklyn, but we all know what happened in 2020 was the world shut down. So we had to quickly pivot and turn that into a virtual event. But in the meantime, we also decided to start our our community online, our membership site, where which is what we're doing now. And it's basically the place that we both wish that we had when we were like in the thick of it. So it's support groups, it's content, it's videos, it's lots of curated events, lots of trying to find joy in the moments where this just sucks so badly. And that's kind of how it all started. That is amazing. And I'm sure that there are lots of women that participate in that. Do you have it open to men as well or just women? 
We we do have it open. I mean, it's we really pride ourselves on being all inclusive. We try to do as many cover as many topics and have as many different kinds of programming on as possible. For example, we've already had a male factor infertility event. We have had a LGBTQ event as well. We are in our upcoming Rally Live, we're covering childless after infertility. So we try to hit as much as we can because one thing that going through this ourselves and also podcasting has taught us is there's so many paths to parenthood and it's really opened our eyes to what people go through. Um, So the answer is yes, men can definitely join. However, (laughs) we don't have any men members just yet, but we do have a lot of men supporters. So we have, like I said, at Rally Live coming up, we have a few men speaking. We have three couples coming on. So three men there. We have Allie's doctor is going to be coming on. We have two guys coming on to talk about sperm donor conception and male factor infertility. So we do try to educate in that realm, but we do not have any male members yet. So if anyone's listening that wants to join, you are welcome. (laughs) <laughs> we also have, you know, our support groups, we have week, weekly support groups, and we have a lot of, you know, people's partners will join in the call and just kind of listen in, which is very cool. And we've, we've talked about starting a guys only support group as well, which is on our to do list, but mm-hmm. down the line, because I think that's really, you know, a hole in this space where, you know, guys just talking about this stuff amongst themselves would be really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And having worked in fertility, one area that I see men probably wanting to talk more is when they decide to use like donor sperm Mm -hmm. and that whole other aspect of fertility as well, or, you know, like donor eggs for women, things like that. So is there anything that you would tell your younger self? (laughs) There's a lot of things I would tell her. I would tell her not to smoke cigarettes when she drinks and <laughs> I would tell her no no I would tell her a lot of things specifically related to infert like just fertility in general like I wish that I think Allie and I both wish and most people in our infertility community wish that there was a better education there was better education across the board for women teenagers and then into the 20s about your reproductive health and what you can do to start at a young age really understanding more than, oh, I need a tampon or a pad once a month and, oh, I need to be on birth control. Like there's just such little education. I learned so much about my body in the past three years and about just the woman, the woman's anatomy. So I wish I could tell her like to treat my body with more care to really pay attention to my body to I wish that you know every single girl in their 20s would go and get just a baseline I wish it was just standard operating procedure like once you turn x number of years old at your OB visits you start getting blood work to determine your your AMH which is like your your egg reserve essentially your FSH like just your basic blood work to just if people would, would get tested earlier so many so many so much heartbreak and so many fertility diagnoses would be a lot better off so i wish that i was just more educated about my body but that's a little more scientific but just from an emotional perspective i wish i could tell myself that i can't control everything and that's okay i was such a control freak and so hard on myself in the beginning of this journey that I kind of drove myself a little crazy. I, I couldn't, I couldn't take a beat. I couldn't, 
I couldn't do what was good for my mental health because I was just so I, I was so concentrated on how I could control the outcome. And I wish I could have told myself, you can't. <laughs> so I, I guess that's the main thing is is learning that your our whole lives were taught if you try hard enough at something, you get it. And you know, you have control over pretty much everything. And that just is not the case with fertility, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think you're absolutely right that it would be nice if we had like these baseline labs so that when you're younger, like 24s, you have an idea of like, okay, this is where I stand. And if fertility is something that they already see at that time, potentially being a issue down the line, being able to make a a change, being able to freeze your eggs at that point could make a huge difference. Yeah, I would piggyback on that a little bit and say the same thing that, you know, just knowing all of our lives, we talk about this all the time, how, you know, all of our lives growing up, it's like, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, have sex and you're going to get pregnant. And it's just not the way that it is. It's actually very, there's a very small window in which you can get pregnant. And I just think knowledge is power for, for men and for young men and young women. It would be so nice to just really have the facts so that going into this, you're not totally blindsided when you run into problems. Right. I could imagine like a place where we're telling children in school, like, hey, this is when a fertile window is. This is the time range where you could actually get pregnant. And if we change our education system some and taught about those things, that would make a huge difference. And like you said, the reality is there's only a 25% chance of getting pregnant each cycle in a young fertile couple. So like the chances are not that high to begin with. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice that you would give somebody who's currently going through fertility treatment? Yeah, I would say find your people, find your community, you know, whether it's fertility rally or somewhere else, you know, there's a lot of resources now, thankfully go on Instagram, search hashtags for specifically what you're going through, be it IVF or donor conception or uh, surrogacy, you can find people now and everybody I've found, you know, we call our tagline at Fertility Rally is worst club best members because we have found for the most part that everybody in this community is wonderful and really does want to help each other and educate each other and lift each other up. So if you're starting out or you're just, you know, you don't know where to turn, I would definitely say just reach out to someone, DM them or shoot them an email. You know, there's so many good podcasts now. There's so many good blogs tons of good books are coming out each month. There's a lot of resources. So I think just find your finding your people is kind of the first step. And then, you know, you can hone in on specifically the questions that you have. And like I said, there's people out there willing to answer pretty much anything and share their knowledge. I think having gone through this, people realize how much it sucks and we just want to make it easier for the people who are following behind. Yeah, I would, I would say for sure, find your people so incredibly important and it takes a while you know it it really does i have so many people almost every single day ask me like oh my gosh like how did you find your close friends in this community and honestly it took time it took time just getting on instagram and being willing to look around i mean to find support you have to be willing to go and seek it out right but there like ali said there's so many resources out there so many more than when i even i got into this community in 2018 Podcasts are great. There's a lot of blogs. If you just want to be like, a, you find silent support where you're not, 
having to communicate with other people, those are great options. But where I've found the most valuable support for me personally is getting on Instagram, searching hashtags, finding people that were kind of in the same stage as me. And for people listening, like you do not have to be super public about who you are and what you're going through. You can start an anonymous account uh, where you make up just some handle where you don't ever show your face. You don't tell your name, where you live. You can find support that way. And you would be surprised how many people are in that boat. And and then it's interesting because we actually had someone on our support group last night who is now a huge name in our infertility space. But she started out for almost a year, just completely anonymous on Instagram. And then as she became more comfortable and met more people, she then opened up more. And so I would just definitely say, Finding a little corner of the internet where you feel comfortable, where you're, you can actually confide in people who understand what you're going through is so important. And if that corner of the internet is something like Fertility Rally, amazing. You know, it's interesting. I think only maybe 10% of our members share openly on Instagram and the others are just their space is Fertility Rally. That's their safe space. So there's a bunch of different options, but just don't be afraid to try things out. And then I would also I would also tell people the number one thing you can do is advocate for yourself. We tell all of our members all the time that your doctors work for you. They yes, they went to medical school. Yes, they're very smart, but at the end of the day, you know what you want. You're paying them money. You know your body better than anybody else. And it is so important to educate yourself, advocate for yourself. If something doesn't feel right, you're probably right about that. If you need to switch doctors, switch doctors. It's okay to fire a doctor. And also, too, in the workplace, like we just did a really cool workshop on with Resolve on how to advocate in your workplace with your HR department to try to get better coverage. Like there's so many things that in this world, I just talked about how much control we lack. There are things that you can do to control what's going on. Advocating for yourself is one of those. So that's something we preach a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. And I 100% agree. As a clinician, I wish that more people advocated for themselves. Like, you know your body best. And I find it so frustrating that some providers don't listen to their patients. And it really bothers me, honestly. It gets me really fired up. Thank you guys so much for sitting down with me and recording. This has been wonderful. And I appreciate you sharing your journeys. I want to know where can the listeners find you at? You can find both of us at Fertility Rally, which is our website. It's just fertilityrally.com. And we're also on Instagram at Fertility Rally. Um, and then my personal account and my podcast, like I said, is called Infertile AF. So you can follow me on Instagram at Infertile AF Stories, or you can find the podcast, you know, on Apple or Spotify, Audible, anywhere where you listen to podcasts. It's free as they all are, or most are. So yeah, you can find me there. And if you shoot me a note, I will respond to you. You can also email me. And for me, like at Fertility Rally, one thing I wanted to say is fertilityrally.com is our website. We're super proud of it. It's new and it's evolving and we're rolling out new phases, but the first phase is live. And I did want to mention for anyone listening that might be interested in joining, we open our membership the first week of every month. So I think on the tail end of this episode, we'll be opening April 1st. So 
Uh, we would love, love, love for you to join and support you. But like Ali said, you can always reach out to out to us via email or DM over at Fertility Rally. For me personally, my personal page is Fab Fertility, like fabulous, fabfertility.com. And also my podcast is Fab Fertility on all of the podcasting platforms. Beautiful. Thank you, ladies, so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. This is great, Jordan. Yeah, thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Pure Romance by Jordan Jones, offering top bath and beauty products and relationship enhancement items. By shopping with Pure Romance by Jordan Jones, you are supporting this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.